Thank you, ladies. Thank you very much. Let's take our Bibles, turn to Habakkuk. I'll give you a, the name of the book real quick so you can look it up in the index. <clears throat> Habakkuk. Habakkuk. That's a wonderful name. Don't you like just saying that name, Habakkuk? I think somebody ought to name their child Habakkuk in here. Now that my kids are grown. <clears throat> All right, chapter 3, verse 2. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, upon Shigenoth, 
Shigi Onaf. Something like that. Notice what he says in verse 2. <clears throat> and that was the good thing when we were reading up here through the whole Bible. There wasn't that many people around. And when we got to names like that, we just kind of faked our way through it. Yeah, just faked our way through it. But we got through it, amen? All the way from Genesis to Revelation, from start to finish. Well, I'll tell you what, what a blessing that was and what an encouragement. <clears throat> Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2. The Bible says, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known. In wrath, remember mercy. <clears throat> the prophet, of course, uh, certainly concerned for his people. And understandably so. The people of God had strayed, they'd wandered, they'd allowed themselves to be involved in false gods and with false gods. They'd even come to the place at points in their history and their past where they literally were sacrificing their very flesh and blood on the altars of idols. A horrible situation. It was a terrible situation indeed. And so we find in the particular passage that the, 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 the uh, prophet says, Revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known. In wrath, remember mercy. Revive thy work. You know, in every age and throughout history, there have been, there's been a need for revival. And sadly, a state of revival has not been the norm amongst God's people. That's, that's not the norm at all. Still, every generation needs revival. And um, I guess it's made known. All you need to do is know the, the definition of revival according to Webster, and you will say, yes, indeed, we need revival. Webster says, first of all, revival is return, recall, or recovery to life from death or apparent death as the revival of a drowned person. We've all seen the picture or maybe in a movie or possibly firsthand, someone go out into the ocean or into the water and begin to drown. They come out and they're not breathing and they do some things to try to get their heart started again or get them breathing again and they cough up that water and they are revived. It goes on, number two, the definition, return and recall to activity from a state of languor as the revival of spirits. And finally, renewed or more activity, or excuse me, renewed and more active attention to religion. An awaking of men to their spiritual concerns. Obviously, all of those basic definitions tend to give us a picture of what revival is. To understand what's taking place. Something is dead. Something is lethargic. Something is not functioning properly and it's revived. It's made alive again. Boy, if there's something that we need in the church across America today, and even in our own church and in our own lives, is revival. We have Brother Martin coming next Sunday. and So I thought I would take a few minutes as we prepare for what we would call a mini-revival. And again, you don't schedule revival. We understand that. We're not ignorant enough to believe somehow that we can tell God when to show up and what to do. But it is important that we give God opportunity and then that we prepare ourselves to, for revival, that we make ourselves available to God to do that work in our life, in our hearts, so that we can indeed be refreshed, be revived and anew. I don't believe, of course, that I'm in any way an expert revival. <laughs> Not at all. But I do want to share four revival basics that I believe will place us on the road to personal and even corporate revival. And so, <clears throat> I want to share those four things with you tonight. Um, let's see. Is, hey Brad, can you do me a favor? Can you go to my office and on my desk, there's a hundred copies of... Uh, you'll see them stacked up right there in front, right to the left as you sit. But there's a hundred copies. If you'd bring those out, and if you just uh, bring them in with you, or, or put them out there on the um, Welcome Center, I guess. Okay, would you do that for now? Thanks. <clears throat> so, nonetheless, let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll go ahead, and I'm going to tell you, or share with you, these four basics for revival. And again, there's no revival that takes place until we avail ourselves to it. And I understand that everybody's busy, but 
I'm going to share four basics that I think will help us to prepare ourselves so that we as a congregation can experience revival. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We thank you for just this chance to get together tonight. Simple little message, Lord, something very basic. We'll just give you the glory for what will be accomplished in it. In Christ's name, amen. First of all, revival. One of the basics, number one, revival is personal, then it is corporate. It's personal, then it's corporate. Revival then begins with you. It begins with me. Revival isn't something that we as a church say, well, we're going to have revival and we're just going to see God do a miracle in our, our congregation. No, it begins with you and it begins with me. <clears throat> it's personal, then corporate. See, God doesn't revive a building. God revives a body. And in 1 Corinthians, turn there if you would please, chapter 12, we read about the body that we are part of as believers. <clears throat> And again, it's not, well, Community Baptist Temple, they're going to have a revival. And Community Baptist Temple is going to be revived. No, there's a body that has to be revived. And notice something about this body. In 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 14, it says, For as the body is one and hath many members, excuse me, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. Here it is now. For the body is not one member, but many. If you take a body and you look at it, you see that a body has fingers and toes. It has two ears and two eyes and a nose. There are a number of pieces and parts that make up the body. It's one body, but many parts, many members. And that's exactly what we find when it comes to revival. For the body is not one member, but many. The body to be revived requires that we ourselves individually are revived. If someone in this particular room, or maybe somebody you know, or somebody you've read about, if somebody was in some kind of severe car accident and lost the use of their legs, it would be a sad event indeed. We understand that. Let's say that one morning they wake up and they realize that they can move their big toe on their right foot. We would say basically that they have revived, that toe has been revived. Where once it could not move, once it was so to speak dead, now it is alive and it moves. But may I say, that person still isn't going to walk. The whole body is not complete. The whole body is not revived. Only one piece, one part, one member. And may I say today that revival doesn't necessarily, it it doesn't come corporately, it comes individually first. It's one piece, one part, one member at a time, and then God, it catches fire and God does a work. Revival is personal, then corporate. See, you've got to understand, you have a responsibility for revival. You can't just say, well, the preacher gets right, and if the staff gets right, and some of the people get right, then we'll be right. No, you have to work at getting right with God, because revival begins with you, and then it affects the corporate group. Revival is personal, then corporate. Number two, we must make room for revival. Again, one of these revival basics. You have to make room. I have to make room for revival. Again, activity comes in many forms today. And not all activity is conducive to revival. Not everything that you do and not everything that I do promotes revival in our life, does it? It doesn't do that. And our world today is inundated with multiple forms of distractions. We can all agree that there are just one distraction after another, just one distraction after another, another distraction after another, over and over and over again. There's little downtime today in the world in which we live. Even at night, when we're all supposed to be down and resting and taking it easy, we're engaged by way of our phones and our tablets, and we're engaged by our computers. Beeps and bumps and buzzes and everything else taking place. Very little downtime. Most often we are... There's no do not disturbs anymore. There's just distraction after distraction. 
And distractions and disturbances have become par for the course. And you know what? Unfortunately, it's par for the course in the believer's life. Sadly, Satan capitalizes on all the chaos and confusion. He's the one that wins when we are continually distracted. He's the one that wins when our minds are completely filled with activity and thought. And there's no time to reflect or meditate on Him and His Word. Satan's the one that benefits from that. He's delighted to see us busy on our phones. He is thrilled when our tablets are beeping and buzzing, when our computers are on 24-7, when we're connected to the, 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 you know, the, the World Wide Web, when we're connected to Facebook, when we're connected to this and that. May I say, get disconnected. If, if we are going to recognize or see revival, we need to literally make room for revival. We've got to make room. And someone says, well, we've got to make time. But make some room. Open your heart up. Open your life up to revival. And may I say not only that, but you've got to make room for it in your schedule. Again, it's something that's not going to happen by chance. It's amazing to me. It is downright amazing. If I, you said, boy, I've got a, my marriage is a mess today. My, 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 I've got a problem with one of my kids I've got an issue at work. I'm struggling with some mental issues or emotional issues in my life. If I said to you today, all you'd have to do is drink this right here and it'd solve all your problems. Just drink this and it'll solve all your problems. You'd run up to me and you'd say, man, I want it. Just give it to me. Can I tell you why you would say that? Because it'd be simple just to drink that. But if I said to you, You need to be in God's house consistently and faithfully. You you need to follow the commands of Scripture. You need to yield your life to Jesus Christ. And you need to allow Him to have rulership in your life. You need to put Him on the throne of your life. You've got to die to self and crucify self and give yourself to Jesus Christ. You say, ah, that's going to change my whole life. Exactly. See, we want this, the easy fix. May I say that revival today is not going to come by just drinking an eight-ounce drink of Deer Park. Revival is going to come because we literally make room for it. And it affects our schedules and it affects our lives. We've got to make room for revival. The more engaged that we are with social media and connectivity, the more Satan just loves it. Because Satan knows that revival will upset our schedule. Revival demands life changes. The truth is that we just don't have time for revival or the pursuit of it in many cases. It's not that we don't really have time though, really, is it? I mean, you really think about it. That was a ridiculous statement for me to make, wasn't it? We don't have time for revival. That doesn't even make sense, does it? Because there's only 24 hours in a day and there's only seven days in every week and there's, there's 52 weeks in a year. I mean, it's always been that way and as long as you live and as long as I live, as long as we're on the earth, that's how it'll be. You say, why do you say it that way? Because in the tribulation, the days will be shortened, but we're not there, so we don't have to worry about it. I just knew some Bible theologian would come get me after the church and say, you said, and you were wrong, preacher, can I show you where you're wrong? So I had to say that so I didn't get cornered tonight. See, Brother Dean, you can't get me now. Okay, so anyway, <clears throat> no, I'm, I'm teasing. Dean wouldn't have done that. Dean wouldn't have done that. Not Dean. Yeah, right. <laughs> so we have the same amount of time as everyone's had in the history of humanity. So it's not a matter of that we don't have time for revival. It's just that we don't make room for it. We don't make room for it. So, first of all, one of the basics is revival is personal, then corporate. Number two, we must make room for revival. And number three, revival, and this is probably why it's really so difficult, revival demands moral purity and holiness. (laughs) 
It demands moral purity and holiness. Take your Bible. Look over at Psalm chapter 139, verse 23. We'll read verses 23 and 24. We see the psalmist speaking here, and boy, he shares with us something pretty important. He makes some statements here, and he, he's genuine about where and what he wants from God, and what, what he, where he wants to be with God, I should say. Psalm 139. <clears throat> Notice what the psalmist says. He says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Now, hold on. Let's stop right there, okay? I want you to think about this. Now, those are easy words to say. Ah, search me, O God, and know my heart. But hold on a second. If we're sincere and we genuinely mean what we just said there, wow, do you realize that you and I are inviting a perfect, holy, righteous God to examine our heart. And what does the Bible say in Jeremiah 17, 9 about our heart? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And we're saying, God, search me. God, look into the deepest recesses of my heart and my mind. Oh, God, see me the way I really am. Search me and know my heart. Wow, that psalmist is brave. He goes on to say, try me and know my thoughts. Let me ask you, have you had any bad thoughts lately? I mean bad thoughts. I mean, he goes on to say, and see if there be any wicked way in me. Okay, God, I'm I'm opening myself up to you. I'm giving you permission, although God doesn't need it. I think it's important that you and I give him permission. And say, God, I give you permission to look into my heart, my thoughts, my mind. I want you to dig in deep. I want you to really search me out. That's what the psalmist is saying. And he goes on to say, and lead me in the way everlasting. He wanted something more than he had. He wanted something more. And may I say that something more does not come by doing the same thing we've been doing. If there is no change, there will be no change. If we are content with our Christianity where it is right now, that is where we will be probably five years from now. If not worse. Confession of sin is necessary for fellowship with God. And it is absolutely necessary for revival among God's people. I want to consider the following verses and questions that are presented by a man by the name of Dr. Charles R. Sanders in his work entitled, Heart Searching for Prayer Preparation and Personal Revival. He has 16 different scriptures and areas to focus on as we prepare for revival. I'm going to share five of the 16. The other 11, along with the five I'm sharing, are on the Welcome Center, and you are free to take those when you leave. There's 100 of them. I prefer that no children under the age of 14 take them. I prefer that the parents grab them and go through them with your child if you'd like, but I don't want children grabbing them. I guess if you're in the teen group and above, you can grab those. So if you're 12 in the teen group, grab one. First of all, every yes answer that you have for these questions means there's sin in your life. So turn, if you would, to Matthew 6, 14 through 15. As we prepare and try to ready ourselves for revival. So many times we go into what we would call revival services and we come out of them the same way. We make no changes. We make no conscious effort to glean or to get anything from them. It's just another time I've got to go to church. I have to be there. I'm in the choir. I'm forced to go. I'm on a door. I'm an usher. I work in the 
parking lot. I'm in the nursery. Man, I'll tell you what, it's just two more days out of the whole week that i got to show up at church. Now, if you've been going out door knocking and soul winning the last couple of weeks, this will be an invited pleasure, especially if it's raining on a Monday or Tuesday night. Notice what he says in Matthew 6, 14 through 15. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So here's some of the questions that we need to ask ourselves as we prepare for revival. As we make our way into revival, hoping that we come out revived, and not the same. Based on the Scripture, is there anyone against whom you hold a grudge? Is there anyone against whom you hold a grudge? I don't care what the reason is is for it. It does not matter. The question is simple. Is there anyone against whom you hold a grudge? Yes means there's sin in your life. No, we'll keep going. Anyone you haven't forgiven? Is there anyone you haven't forgiven? You don't understand. No, nope. it does not matter what the circumstances against. Is there anyone you have not forgiven? If, that's, if you have to say yes, there, that, there's sin in your life. If you say no, well, we'll keep on going. Is there anyone you hate? Oh, I know that sounds crazy in a crowd like this on a Sunday night. But let's be honest. Some horrible things have happened to people through the years and there are times that we cannot and seem that we cannot let go of things and ultimately they harbor bitterness and it turns into hate and resentment and before it's over with, even the believer has hate in his heart. We're preparing for revival. We wonder why we don't see revival. We wonder why there's no change in our heart or in the hearts of the people of God or the church or the church house. Maybe it's because we're not being honest with ourselves. Is there anyone you do not love? Are there any misunderstandings that you are unwilling to forget? Any misunderstandings that you are unwilling to forget? Again, a yes answer is sin. Is there any person against whom you are harboring bitterness, resentment, or jealousy? Or jealousy? I think these questions are pretty straightforward. I don't think they need a whole lot of explanation, do they? Anyone you dislike to hear praised or well spoken of? Do you allow anything to justify a wrong attitude toward another? I mean, we're preparing for revival. We want God to do a reviving work. We want God to do something miraculous in our life and ultimately in the lives of each and every one that's assembled here. We want our church to be revived. We want it to be alive and growing and going for the cause of Christ. What will hold it back? You. Me. Remember, revival, first of all, is personal. Then it is corporate. Let's consider the next one. Turn to John chapter 13, verse 35. Kind of touches on some of the same type of material, but notice what he says. And some of the questions that he asked in relationship to this particular passage. The psalmist made it very clear. O Lord, I have... He says, Search me, O God. Search me, O God. And know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Before we ask God to do that, we might want to ask ourselves these questions. I'd much rather deal with it before God does. Notice what he says in John 13, 35. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love 
one to another. Are you secretly pleased over the misfortunes of another? Are you secretly pleased? Uh, not that you go around talking about, boy, I'm glad that I'm glad that, that happened. I'm glad that they couldn't pay their bills. I'm glad that they found this. And I'm glad that that happened. And you would never say that out loud. You might not tell even your husband or wife, but down deep you're going, yeah, they got what they deserved. <laughs> Are you secretly pleased over the misfortunes of another? You'd say, well, yeah, sin. We wonder why revival won't come. Revival demands moral purity and holiness. Are you secretly annoyed over the accomplishments or advancements of another? Are you guilty of any contention or strife? Are you guilty of any contention or strife? Do you quarrel, argue, or engage in heated discussions? Are you a partaker in any divisions or party spirit? You know, where others are out and only certain ones are in. Are there people whom you deliberately slight? Now be very careful before you answer the question. See, the Bible says that we must worship Him in spirit and in truth. We wonder why our personal Christian lives are a wreck. We wonder why our marriages are messed up. Why our children are off the deep end. Maybe there are areas in our Christian lives that are not nearly as pure as we would like them, like ourselves to believe even. We must examine ourselves. Next question, based on 1 Corinthians 10.31. Turn there if you would, please. 1 Corinthians 10.31. Remember, there are 16 of these. (laughs) Brother Martin sent them to me. And he said, Preacher, we've had tremendous success when people have taken these and applied them before, we showed, before I showed up. I can see why. If we would do this, we wouldn't need Brother Martin, would we? <laughs> Brother Martin, we don't need you now. Thank you for that piece of paper. We'll send you a hundred bucks. Enjoy it. See you later. First Corinthians 10.31. Notice it says, Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. That's a pretty clear verse, isn't it? So here it is. Do you take the slightest credit for anything good about you rather than of what Christ has done? The slightest credit. I mean, let's be honest. I mean... We all like to have a pat on the back. We all like to feel like we're appreciated. We all like to feel important. And sometimes if we're not careful, you know, if we're not careful, we may even take a little bit of credit for something instead of giving God the glory who deserves it. Are your statements mostly about I? I believe I do this and I go here and I do that and I'm this and I'm that and I... You know, even church folks may have an I problem. Are your, here's a good one. Here you go. Are your feelings easily hurt? Are your feelings easily hurt? If you answered yes to that, guess what? That's sin in your life. You say, I don't get it. That's the problem. You don't get it yet, do you? That, that, that's all about you. When you're always getting offended, you're always hurt, it's because it's, the focus is on you and yours and mine. I'm amazed how quickly people are offended at things. We call ourselves Christians. We name the name of Christ. We say we're doing it all for the Lord's and His glory. But yet we're always offended. We're always up in the air, bent out of shape. How about... Have you made a pretense of being something you are not? Have you made a pretense of being something that you're not? You know, I caught the fish and it was this big. 
when it was only that big? And that's still pretty good. Oh, I'm the best. Oh, I'm really good at... I'm not talking about joking around with friends. I'm talking about genuinely and seriously believing these things. And you're exaggerating your abilities or exaggerating your intellect or exaggerating your whatever it may be. Turn to Ephesians 4.31, please. Again, we're, we're, we're asking like the psalmist. The psalmist simply made a real simple statement and he said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. Well, these questions help to focus our attention on our hearts. Very practical questions that are answered with simple yes and no's. And if we try to complicate the answer, it's because it's probably a no. I mean a yes answer. We're trying to justify it. But, 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 but as soon as you put a but in front of that, it's a yes. It's called sin in our life. Notice what he says in Ephesians 4.31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Remember, a yes answer is sin. Here it is. Do you complain? Do you complain? You know, like the children of Israel in the wilderness that murmured. Do you complain? Yeah, but, I mean, it's... Just say it. Just be honest. Call it what it is. It's sin. Oh, it's not sin in the world. People in the world complain constantly. It's par for the course. I know that. But we're believers. We're to be living according to the Word of God. Our standard is not the same as unsaved loved ones, family, and friends. We are children of God. We have literally Jesus living in us. Well, I'll tell you what. If there is something that will squelch and totally put out the fire of revival, it is complaining. Do you find fault? You, you know what I mean. You, you look at people and you can't help but see their faults. You, you go into a building you can't help but find the fault. Everywhere you go, you're finding something wrong. Something wrong. Something wrong. Something wrong. Okay, the service was good, but. The room was nice, but. My wife's a nice person, but. You know what I'm saying? I mean, just always finding fault. The sound is good, but. The Bible's wonderful, but. (laughs) Always finding fault. Do you have a critical attitude toward any person or anything? I said any person or anything. That's what the question was. Not do you have a, a, well, not a critical attitude toward the people you love and like, but toward any person. This, this, This isn't easy. What's the Bible say over in the book of Corinthians? Bringing every thought to the obedience of Christ. Bringing captivity, every thought to the obedience of Christ. And that's an attitude. You say, I can't control that because of this or that. Yes, you can, because you have the power of Christ in your life. Are you irritable or cranky? Hey, these are practical. Let me tell you something. The world sees that in you and I, and I'll tell you what, it turns them off against Christianity. It's a black eye for Jesus. And if you want to squelch, you want to put out the fire of revival, just go ahead and follow through with some of those spirits, that irritableness and that crankiness. You jump up in the choir and you had a bad day and you're just, oh, 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 oh. Man, how's revival going to happen here? You're the one supposed to be setting the tone and setting the space. Oh, you're out there shaking hands and you're in the parking lot. Hey, what are you doing? You don't park there. What's your problem? Are you stupid? Well, praise God. I'm glad I came to church today. Wonderful. Meet godly men and women like you here. This is a blessing. I mean, that doesn't, I mean it's, it's a reality of life. And it may not be that, um, you know, exaggerated, but people can tell when you're cranky. People can tell when you're all upset or you're irritable. 
You asked me why I'm happy, so I'll just tell you why. Because my sins are gone. We just sang about it. Do you ever carry hidden anger? Hidden anger. You know, the kind that you don't share with everybody, but it's there. You know, guys, you know how it is. You walk around in life and you're trying to maintain this, but every little thing causes you to go over the top, boil over a little bit, because there's that hidden anger in our heart. We're perturbed, we're upset. Something's got our goat, but we don't share it, we don't say it, we just suck it up like men, but it's there, isn't it? That's sin in a Christian's life. Be sure your sin will find you out. Do you get angry? Oh, I know. Jesus got angry, right? Come on. Most of the time we get angry, it's not for the right reasons, let's be honest. Do you become impatient with others? Are you ever harsh or unkind? Are you ever harsh or unkind? Now, I I know what some of you are thinking probably. You're thinking, these are ridiculous. This is my life. (laughs) I I know. Exactly. And, And we wonder why we're not having or seeing revival. I mean, really, I mean, come on, get real, preacher. This is ridiculous. I mean, what, I mean, what planet did this guy live on? He lived on another plane, obviously, didn't he? Do you realize the Bible tells us that this world's not our home? We're just a passing through. Do you realize we're citizens of heaven and that's really our home? This is just smoke and mirrors. Finally, Ephesians 5.16. I know we're taking a few minutes and then we're going to close this out. Ephesians 5.16. A simple passage and one that you, I'm sure, have read and heard before. Talking about redeeming the time because the days are evil. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. What a passage, huh? Redeem the time. Buy back those lost years, that last time, that lost time in our lives even. So many got saved later in life. Well, guess what? Redeem the time. Buy back what you've lost. Do double, do triple time for the Lord. Redeem it. Make best use of your time. So what are the questions that go along with it according to this particular saying of God? He says, "Do do you listen to unedifying radio or television programs? Do you listen to unedifying radio and television programs? You've got to understand, this guy lived before the Internet, okay? So what you're going to hear is basically things of the past. But we can apply them, obviously, to our present situation. Do you read unworthy magazines, blogs, posts, Do you partake in worldly amusements? Do you find it necessary to seek satisfaction from any questionable source? Are you doing certain things that show that you are not satisfied in the Lord Jesus Christ? That He's not enough for us, for you. These are soul-searching questions. These are questions that reach to the depths of our soul and our being. These are questions that are very practical. They're where we live. And if we really want to experience revival, then we're going to have to, like the psalmist, say, search me, O God, and know my heart. And it begins with us searching our own hearts. I mean, come Sunday, we're going to have a speaker in by the name of Dan Martin. And Dan Martin is just a preacher. The fact is is that he serves the same God that we serve. And the truth is is that Dan Martin's hands are tied if we've not prepared our heart to hear the Word of God that God placed on his heart. Revival is not up to me, specifically. It's not up to a staff member. It's not up to Sunday school leaders. It is up to every 
individual member and part of the body. It begins with you and me, each of us individually. And then it extends corporately. Number four, and finally, here it is. Revival requires confession and repentance of sin. There is not going to be any revival just because we know we're not living right. Revival won't come just because we are aware that we don't measure up to God's standard for believers. We don't get, you know, a prize for recognizing we're failures. Revival will only come when we have the spiritual fortitude to confess our sin and forsake it. And when you have a sin in your life, say you answer yes to a particular question, you need to respond specifically to that sin. Lord, I have not put you first in my plans. Not, Lord, I have not been the Christian I ought to be. What does that mean? I think we could all say that. We're not specific enough with God. We must get specific. You know, we talk about praying specific. Can I tell you what God did for me this week? I'm just going to share it. I wasn't planning on it. I got to praying at the end of last week, before Monday, and I, and I had the privilege of leading someone to Christ last week, a week ago. And then I said, Lord, I don't want just you to let me lead someone to Christ. I want to lead a family to Christ. I want to, I want to have the opportunity to leave a husband and wife to the Lord. And, and lead a family to Christ. And so I, I got to praying about that thing. And asking the Lord to do that. I went to door after door. Opened my Bible a couple of times this week. Never even had an opportunity to lead anyone to Christ. I'm praying last night, Lord, and and even earlier in the week, Lord, give us souls. I believe that there will be people in our services Sunday that need saved. Lord, I believe you're going to bring people that need Christ. Lord, give me the, the, the ability to preach selfless and die to self and just be a conduit for you. Lord God, use me as an instrument in your hand. God, bring souls to Christ. Do a work in lives. And I really believed with all my heart God was going to, somebody's going to get saved this morning. I did. I, I was confident of that. I heard the choir open up and I heard the specials and I sat there and I just had to keep wiping the tears away because I knew this is it. The Holy Spirit's here. It's going to happen. The altar call came and nothing moved hardly. A couple of folks came to an altar. Praise the Lord, there were a couple broken hearts being poured out at the altar. Thank God for that. But I thought, Lord, I've been praying all week. I didn't get my couple. I didn't get my family. And then nobody walked down and got saved today, Lord. I, ah, I was disappointed. And after church, I walk out and I'm shaking hands with people and my wife comes to me and says, hey, listen, there's a couple over there that is in need of, that wants to be baptized, but they're not, we're not sure if they're even saved. I said, well, okay. Went over and got to talking to that couple, took them back into my office, and guess what happened? I got to lead a family to Christ. You get where I'm, what, hold on a second, get where I'm going with this now. It don't really matter where I'm going, this is awesome, I'm enjoying it. That's good stuff. I have no idea right now why I started telling that, but boy, I tell you what, I enjoyed that. Isn't it good, though, what God will do and how He answer our prayers? But we have to be specific in what we're asking. Just like I was specific in asking God for what I wanted in prayer. Lord, I want a couple. I want you to let me lead a couple to Christ. I want you to let me lead a family to the Lord. And guess what God did? And you know what? You are all about leading, you know, having specific prayers, aren't you? And you ought to be. I tell young people and I tell singles all the time, if you're going to pray, be specific. Man, I'll tell you what. If you want a a car, ask for a car. If you want a van, ask for a van. You want an SUV, ask for an SUV. I mean, be specific so you know it's God that answers. 
When it comes to sin, we're not like that, are we, usually? Lord, I pray you forgive my sin. Lord, you know I'm weak. You know I fail. Oh, God, wash me. Well, that's good, but wash you from what? I'm just telling you, if we want revival to take place, we truly want revival to happen in our hearts, we've got to get specific with confession. We have to be specific with repentance. We have to directly address the issues. Lord, I have neglected Your Word and I've neglected prayer. Don't make, the, don't make the least excuse for sin in your life. Don't make any excuses for it. Just confess it and then repent of it. Proverbs 28.13 says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Well, that's pretty good stuff. So, revival comes with a price tag. And the real question isn't whether God will revive, but rather we will allow Him to revive. Revival is personal, then corporate. We must make room for revival. That means you need to be here. That's one thing you need to do. Maybe you need to back off the television set. Maybe you need to get rid of some of that stuff you've been allowing in your mind, like music, that's not God-honoring and Christ-honoring. You need to allow yourself. You say, but that's, you know, I'm telling you, those are things that will keep God from working in our lives. There might even be somebody that you talk to on a regular basis that you need to say, listen, it's revival week. Sorry, we won't be speaking this week. Because every time I talk to you, we end up putting things down, people down and everything else down. And I don't want to have a critical spirit going into revival. I want God to do something in my life. So that means husbands and wives, you won't be allowed to talk to each other this week. <laughs> revival demands moral purity and holiness. And finally, revival requires confession and repentance of sin. That's just five simple thoughts that he shares, or five verses, and some of the questions. There are 11 more, and I want to encourage you to pick one of those up on the way out today. Read through them. Ask yourself the questions. A yes answer is a confirmation of sin in our life and must be confessed. Do we want God to do something in our life or are we content with the state in which we are? May I say today, these young men and young ladies in our group today need to see God working mightily. They need to know that He is real as real can be and they'll only learn that and see that firsthand as you and I yield ourselves to Christ. Let's have a great week of revival. Let's already make up our mind. I'm going to be in my place I'm going to give God opportunity. I'm going to look at that sheet and I'm going to go through those questions and I'm going to prepare my heart and say, search me, oh God, because I want you to do something in my life this week. And we'll be glad we did. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this short time that we had together, just this opportunity that we have, Lord, just to prepare our hearts.